In this episode, prepare to be captivated by the remarkable journey of Terry Lynn McFadden, a true luminary in the world of holistic healing. From her earliest days as a child, Terry Lynn possessed a profound awareness of consciousness, oneness, and the interconnectedness of all things a gift passed down through five generations of shamans. Her path took her from the heights of athleticism, where she represented global giants like Nike as both an athlete and speaker, to the depths of spiritual exploration, where she discovered a calling as an extraordinary healer. Join us as we dive into the world of sophrology, yoga nidra, hypnosis, vibrational sound healing, energy work, and more tools that will empower you to thrive and radiate positively. Don't settle for a mediocre life. Tune in now and discover how to ignite your spark, embrace your true self, and a life filled with purpose and joy. Welcome to Wellness Spring, dear Terry Lynn. It's so wonderful to have you on the Wellness Spring show. Thank you, Beverly. It's nice to be here. Nice early morning in France. And uh, yeah. yeah, thank you for inviting me. My absolute pleasure. And for the listeners, I met Terry Lynn many, many moons ago back in Nice when I used to live there in the south of France. And we both had our own studios. Um, Terry Lynn was the founder of Shawanda. And I went there a few times and did some yoga Pilates classes. And she gave me um, a private sound healing, which was amazing. And then we decided to do um, a summer solstice meditation and healing together in a lovely friend's house, Jonathan Lippman. And it was so well received. And um, I'm just so grateful as well to Terry Lynn because in Jonathan's home, we did a family ceremony for my niece who had transcended. And Terry Lynn graciously um, led this beautiful, beautiful funeral service or, you know, whatever you want to call it, the shamanic way when we all said our goodbyes and it was just the most beautiful experience. So, um, as I said, my family are very grateful and Terry Lynn is such a special soul. Mm -hmm. And could you please um, tell the listeners a bit about your background, where you grew up, your education, so they can get a feel of your greatness? Thank you, Beverly. Um, yeah, that was a, you just brought me right back to that moment where we did the ceremony for your sister. And thank you so much for allowing me to be part of that. I'm very grateful for that to this day. And yeah, those are special moments. Um, and the special moments come from, yeah, maybe perhaps the background that I did have growing up. I was born in Canada on the prairies. Um, my father's side of the family is Aboriginal. So it's um, Canadian Indian First Nations Cree. 
and my mother's side is Catholic. So you can imagine the mix of belief systems flying around in my head as I decided to come onto this earth. And um, um, because of the Catholic side of my family, like my mother's side was very Catholic. My aunt is a nun and one of my cousins wanted to be a priest. And so every Sunday it was time to go to church and I got to the age where I was able to walk by myself to church and I had to walk through an orchard to go to church. And church to me was just something that was, um, I don't know, it wasn't just the, it wasn't the thing I was resonating with at all. So as I walked through the apple orchard to go to church, I stopped in the apple orchard. That was my church. So I'd go up into the tree, lay down in the tree and have a direct communication and that's kind of the way I live my whole life is uh, flitting around the dogma of religion, of, you know, even spirituality when it's too much and having a direct link to whatever you want to call it, the field, con collective consciousness, God, uh, what, the great spirit, whatever you want to call it. And in that moment, when you're so aligned, everything Everything I did, I tried to be 100% aligned with what I did. So I started um, being active physically because I had so much energy. And so as I started acting uh, or being physical in my life, I was an athlete. So I would do track and field. I did every single sport there was to do on the school field before I was allowed to I can always remember they said you had to be in grade five like the system here goes from grade one to grade 12 and you had to be in grade five to be on the track and field team so after school the track and field team would play in a field and I would be in the next field doing everything everybody else did because I was only in grade four so that just goes to show you like I just needed that act that physical activity to pull myself together and become aligned. And so what happened because of that is I started playing the sports at a higher level and I played a pretty high level in Canada in volleyball. And then I started, then fitness came out. So it was like Jane Fonda and leg warmers and Reeboks and palm, palm, palm tree pony hill, ponytails. And I was like, this is really cool. And so I started doing that. And that took me around the whole world, literally. Um, I started teaching in, first of all, Canada. And then I moved down to the United States and I taught in Scottsdale, Arizona. And then I moved to Mexico and I lived, I lived and I taught there, doing other things all along the way, obviously, to remain aligned. And then I moved to New York and then to Paris. And when I got to France... I saw that the fitness level here, um, they hadn't caught up to the rest of the world. And so I found like the the niche of the fitness world in Paris and walked in there and went, oh, okay, I feel at home here. I auditioned, obviously I got the, the job. And from there, my career, like my fitness career just blew up. I was on TV, the, you know, videos, the whole thing. Cause at that point there, it was VHS as videos. So that was um that was part of a huge part of who I am today because as I was always looking for alignment I realized little by little as the people um be 
become knowledgeable in something, it's like I have to go forward and pierce the way in a sense, um, pierce the way to something new again. And that was when I went to the very first mind-body connection um, convention in, it was Orlando, Florida. And I listened to the speaker and I understood in a second um, quantum physics, not in a second, but you know what I mean? Like it just resonates with you when it makes sense, quantum physics. And so I started um, branching off into Pilates and yoga and Tai Chi and meditation and yeah, and then it, as usual, every time I go into something, I align myself with that something and try and get to the very end to really understand so that I can teach that and then open the portals for other people to learn that. So yeah, obviously the the when you look at my when you looked at my bio and you said, and you've done this and this and this. It's because one leads to the next when you develop, you know, that sense of feeling energy and being aligned, things will come up that align with you and the healing path opened up thanks to the Tantra yoga that I studied and the, the development of the senses, everything else developed as well. And so obviously I was like, oh, geez, okay, I can still teach. Um, because there's a real need for experienced teachers. There's a lot, a lot of young teachers on the market right now that have a lot of gumption and, you know, they're ready to go, um, but they don't have the experience quite yet to be able to give everything from the heart. They give from the mind, they give from the body, but from the heart. And so I really feel um, blessed to still be in this trade of teaching Pilates yoga and also gone on the healing path. So I don't know if that was a bit long-winded, but that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's the background. Yeah. Wow. You uncovered so much there. Um, firstly, I would like to say, what was it like as a child and did you get support from your father for example because you said he was indigenous and i know you're fifth generation shaman um you know to be lying under an apple tree and aligning yourself like how did that happen how did you know about it how did you know you connect with all that is and you mentioned consciousness how did you know about this um when i was a little tiny little Tyke, um, I used to astral travel and I didn't know what that meant. Uh, but retrospectively now I understand that's what it was. And my mom was a witness to it. My dad was not a witness to it because unfortunately he was out of the picture quite quickly. Um, I, I think that, I think that when you have that opening, at the base you know when you're a child and you have that opening at the base either you listen to the call or you allow yourself to be programmed I mean I do believe that's part of your soul contract even though we have the free will to break that soul contract um, I still do really feel that that's the call that was the most authentic to me and I couldn't act any other way 
my mom was witness, but she chose to put that away. And my father, yeah, I never really spoke to anybody about it because it wasn't something even then we spoke about. We have to remember that at that point in life, it was the 60 swoop, meaning that even though I was blonde with blue eyes, my sister was very dark. And we were told not to say that we had Indian blood in us. So when you learn that you're not supposed to say something of where you come, you learn also that perhaps that's not the right thing to share. So yeah, that's the 60 swoop was, I don't know if you've ever seen any of the things about the 60 swoop, but the, it was more on the, the reservations, the Indian reservations, but the government would come in and take the children away from the parents and put them into residence, resident housing. And we weren't in the reservation, but there was still that stigmatism or that stig stigmatism, yeah, attached yeah. to having that type of background and being of that, being of that sort of field, you know, so. Yeah, I was, um, wasn't aware of that. Well, I knew that with the swoop, those things were happening, but, um, when I was a child, I used to astral travel as well. And, you know, I could line up and all the rest of it. But And I thought it was normal talking to angels and your angelic team. But when I went to school, my mother said, shh, don't tell anybody. Because she was frightened that, um, you know, might get locked up or bullied or laughed at from being weird. She said, it's going to be our secret. And throughout my childhood I did shut down the alignment a few times because it just didn't feel right and people did you know comment and you know they just thought you were weird if you weren't um, just being what they call a normal child instead of being in the real world what I call you know astral traveling having fun doing things and you know because in school I always came top of the class and the teachers would put don't know how she got these marks because she's always daydreaming she's never present and so forth but um yeah so you did a lot with the sports as well and you were obviously on the forefront with uh, many top brands and you know representing them both as an athlete and as um, a spokeswoman. So what was that like? Tell us about that journey. Um, yeah, that was that was amazing. Because once again, you know, I really identify with you, with what you say, Beverly, <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, the society is in such in such a way that uh, when you shine, because that's what I would call it, when I would shine, everybody would go, she's just weird. So you dull your shine to fit in. And, and that's so yeah. sad, isn't it? Anyway, yeah. coming back to the, so I'm sorry that you had to live that as well, because I totally understand where you're coming from. Um, yeah. So going back to the, going back to the question about, or the, the subject of working for top sports brands, they came to me again, like I didn't do anything. They came to me and they said, we want you to be on our team and represent you know nike and i at that point i was um what they call an egerie it means um like a face 
for Repetto. Yeah. Repetto yeah. had just done their very first fitness line. And so I was their face. And um, so I kind of was like, this is cool. Um, I think I'm going to bargain with them. <laughs> so very audaciously, I stepped up and said, look, um, I'm doing all this stuff for Repetto's. So if you want me to come on your team, I would love to. But, you know, we have to have some kind of negotiation. And they were just great. So they're like, OK, we'll give you this and this and this and this and this. And oh, OK. So I went on the team with a bunch of other amazing human beings, just amazing human beings too. And that was in the nineties, you know, um, and we're still in touch. This, this first dream team, I call it, we're still friends today and we communicate weekly, this dream team of athletes. And so Nike was in the, in the state stage of setting up a whole bunch of new fitness programs so we brought these fitness programs to all of France and I did all of the translations from English into French. And then, you know, it just like Nike did the advertising for us. So it's a, sh it's a shooting to stardom, um, whether you want to or not. And plus I was in the center of that little niche center in the middle of Paris in Beaubourg. And so, I mean, on TV and stuff like that. So it was just a, a natural ascension for me. And yeah, it was, it was pretty amazing. I mean, they were very generous and I learned a lot about the hierarchy in France, which is not at all the same about the hierarchy in the States or in Canada, where, you know, the CEO and he'll come and talk to you. And in France, it's not like that at all. And I swore to myself that if I ever went, when I became a big entrepreneur that I would, I would always be reachable to the people that were, you know, fans or, or whatever, or whatever. So that was interesting. And that brought me from the French um, to, from the French uh, system to another brand that came and picked me up, which was spinning. It was the very beginning of spinning with Johnny G very, very beginning. And they asked me, if I would be a master instructor for them, an international master instructor for them. And I was like, okay, that's interesting because the center in Paris was going to invest in the concept. It's a concept because it's teaching a teacher training program plus selling bikes. And um, I said, why not? So that's the same thing happened with spinning in the sense where the all the manuals needed translating and they needed somebody who spoke English and French. And that was at a ma major airport to go to all the world over and teach spinning to instructors of the world over. So then my career went was even bigger. I mean, I was just that was my life. I was every weekend in a different country, uh, sometimes for more than a weekend, sometimes after I had my first child. I can remember not seeing him for six weeks because I went from Paris to Japan, Japan to the um, Benedict's countries, and then to Colorado, and then back to the European countries, and then back to Los Angeles to do a major conference, and then finally going back to my son. And that was my life. I was, yeah, I was teaching the world. Wow. Around. Yeah, it was, it was pretty wild, pretty hectic. Wow. That, that would have been crazy, especially like having to leave your son behind as well. So where you grew up in Canada, was it a French-speaking part of Canada? Not at all. No, not at all. 
No, I grew up in the prairies. So I, grew, I was born in Saskatchewan. Yeah. <laughs> if anybody oh, knows where that is, it's the middle and it's flat. And the sky is amazing because it's like this big sky for days and days. And you can see the weather coming. The, the land is so flat. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Flat and sacred land, like really sacred land. I, I was I was lucky enough to go back last summer and walk on the sacred land with one of my cousins who uh, he's he'd born on the same day as me and we were hunting the land and I was like thrown back to generations before where we had been together and he was a hunter and I was a, I was a shaman and it was just yeah. incredible. My son was there to witness the whole thing. It was amazing. But then I moved from there to Calgary, which is, you know, I don't know if you know about Calgary, but it's the oil capital of the world. So there's, and it's the first frontier where there was a true hostility between the Indians and the cowboys, literally. So when you see the old movies of that, that was Calgary. So then I grew up there and then I moved to the mountains, across the mountains, across the Rocky Mountains, and lived in a little place called Kelowna, which in Indian is called is named Grizzly after a grizzly bear, because there's a lot of grizzly bears there, a lot of wildlife. And I spent most of my spare time in that point running behind my house in the hills where there was literally cougars. Um, so they would say, today, don't go out, there's cougars. And today, don't go out, there's bears. And sometimes I couldn't go to school. It was Thursdays, so it was garbage day. And we couldn't go to school because the bears would be out on garbage day, obviously. <laughs> so <laughs> so we call school and they go, yeah, we know there's bears in your neighborhood. So we'll see you this afternoon. Wow, that's awesome. My mind is still um, reflecting back on um, the Jane Fonda days because that oh. used to be me with all the tights and, you know, following, like you said, it used to be videos then, but we had an aerobics um, teacher in our local um, gym. And there was two girls and they used to be slave divers and they'd be like, come on, come on, shift that body and up, down, up, down, you know, and all the moves that Jane Fonda was doing and the same kit out, all the aerobics, you know, the leggings and um, the spinning classes. Oh my God, you know, I used to be super fit, loving types of exercise, but the spinning bikes really, took a, a beating on my body. I found them quite difficult for some bizarre reason. Yeah, it's wonderful that you mastered it. And then I love your, okay, why not? I'll do it, you know, attitude yeah. and just following, going in the flow. And as you know, when you're in the flow, everything literally flows to you. Exactly. So, exactly. And you know, like one thing I didn't mention is as spinning in the beginning, um, like the founder of indoor cycling is Johnny G, right? And I was yes. so blessed and privileged to be trained by him and to spend, you know, we would go up in our, our master instructor camps up into the mountains in Switzerland and do team building with these, again, these amazing human beings that wow, they just blow me away. And Johnny would be there. And I don't know if you know him or know of him. He His expression is take adversity and turn it into opportunity. 
And I always felt, you know, when I was there, I was like, like, why me? You know, why, why am I here amidst these amazing human beings? And so I was like, I had to develop a lot more mind power because I wasn't as physically strong as they were. Like we're talking about triathletes. Um, we're talking about people that they're just machines, you know, physical machines. And I was thinking, what am I doing here? And then I realized that they had pulled me in because of my teaching capacity and not my physical capacity. And so I had to learn to overcome literally the adversity of my body being less strong than theirs and overcome the adversity of my mind, you know, that was playing tricks with me and saying, mm. like, what do you think you're doing here? Like, you don't have a place here where I, I had my right and justice place on that team as a respected member and, you know, as, as, a, as a spokesperson for this brand and for this concept, because the concept of spinning was, yes, it's a physical discipline where you increase the resistance, you increase your cardiovascular capacity, but Johnny put the, and they, they kind of dissed him for this, which I, which I defended him loyally to the international world of, of fitness and sports. He put the element of mind body into that before anybody had done anything like that in the fitness world, not the yogic wow. world, the fitness world. Yeah. And I so identified with that, that my, all of my classes became a spiritual journey. And the music that I would choose for it, because at that point, there was no playlist. I would go into the FNAC and, and it was Virgin Records at that point. And I would spend days in there listening for music, like international world music, to portray what I was feeling and where I wanted to bring these people on their physical and spiritual journey. Because I wanted them to understand that the physical activity could lead to a higher state of being, a higher state of consciousness, and that that was the package. It wasn't just great butt, great legs, great arms, a knockout smile. It was the whole package, like, you know what I mean? The mind-body connection. Yeah. And then the connection above that to our higher self and our soul. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's incredible, because I was going to ask you to share a pivotal moment or experience that sparked your journey towards holistic wellness and healing, because I know, you know, you've gone through loads of traumas in your life and um, through self-healing, you know, you've managed to, but from the work on yourself, become this amazing healer that you are today. So was that your pivotal moment or was there somewhere else? Um, I think the first Mind Body Conference when I was able to, so blessed to listen to Candace Pert, um, who wrote the book, The Molecules of Emotion, that was the first like sort of transition in my adult sports life that I was like, you know, we can combine the whole thing. We can, we can combine the physical and the mental and the mind and the spirituality in a way that's very subtle so that people don't get turned off. And so that was the, that was the first that brought me really into it. 
And then, and then Johnny, obviously Johnny, I mean, I can't say enough about that man. And then, um, yeah, I mean, the, the accidents that I had this re more precisely this last accident. Yeah, it was a journey back to health in so many ways. And I was very blessed during my journey of this accident that I had was quite severe to be accompanied by an Australian, one of my best Australian friends um, who was doing healing on me. And I realized at that point how the, how traumatism, like the trauma of falling off an electric bike at 40 kilometers an hour and losing consciousness and having head trauma and physical trauma heightens all of the other senses because you can no longer use the physical body to get there if you say see what i mean meaning that i couldn't use sports to open up myself to the higher senses i needed to heal and that was the healing that opened up my senses even more so mm -hmm. i don't yeah yeah the journey the healing journey any healing journey if you take it consciously is not not I wouldn't even say pivotal I would say like a smash on the head and all of a sudden you're in another dimension yeah and what from previous conversations with you I know um I was saying about my friend who had a serious injury and she she felt like she'd been rewired and it was like a fast track to getting rid of all the old um disempowering belief systems and bringing through no, new codes, new energy codes and um, new messages to bring forward to the world. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Wow. wow. Well, great for her, literally great for her. I, I don't know if I'm that evolved to be able to say that. Um, all I know is is that after having a trauma of that type, rebuilding the body, because it, it is like that, actually, your, your soul comes in, in the empty space left by the trauma, because the trauma, everything shuts down. And it's almost as though you become aware that you're not separate from your soul and you're not separate from anything else. Um, yeah, so that's what fills you up. That's what inspires, that's what inspires, that fills me up, okay, on my journey. Yeah. And that's what inspired me and that's what, yeah, made me realize a lot of, a lot of things. I do have codes coming in, but I always, always have. Um, so that didn't change. I think what I think what changed for me was the awareness um, of really being one and the universal field, like how that how we float on that universal field. And we are a part of a geometrically sacred structure. And when you have that experience, people always say, I created my alignment. I created the structure. Na, 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 na. 
No, that's not what it is. It's you tap into what is already existing. And then you go from there. Do you see what I mean? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You're tapping into the infinite um, space, the infinite love. Like I, I describe consciousness as um, the infinite love that's in everyone and every single thing. Like our divine creator, we're, we're like um, a drop of the ocean, but also the ocean. So funny you say that because when I walk to work, every well the days when I walk to work when I'm able to walk to work I have the sea in front of me and yeah and I think of that every single day like you're a drop in the ocean but you are all I am also the ocean and then I am the ocean by I and I am also the air and I am also air and I am also the earth and you know that time walking into work is I go into work and I'm like, okay, you got to teach now. Okay. So let's get, let's get settled. Let's get aligned. So I have to come out of that and teach because I know, you know, in France that the spiritual world is um, almost hidden. And I think that has a lot to do with the witch hunts. So it's like a collective consciousness of fear of being a little bit off the grid, a little bit weird again, we say that word. Yeah. Um, So when I teach, I have to go in there, pull myself, like really pull myself into my center and go, okay, you're going to be clear, precise, amazing. And then from time to time, you're going to slip something in there so that they become aware that they're in a different dimension while they're doing their exercises. So that's, Mm. um, yeah, drop in the ocean expands into one, into everything. And plus, you know, the the fact of having taken the shamanic path, um, when you talk to me about ocean, all of a sudden I'm in the water. And that water element is, for me, one of the most amazing elements um, when I went through my shamanic training adventure or whatever you want to call it it's the water element that I felt that I was the most expanded and it's strange because I'm a Leo so I'm a fire sign and it was the fire element that literally and I swear to you it burned me it burned me and today I have a mission uh, that was given to me yesterday (laughs) oh wow yes yesterday um that I need to bring the fire back and right you know because I was so burned by the fire because you know that attitude like just jump in okay why not we'll do it so the fire when we started studying the fire element and, and delving into the fire element that's when I got burned and just yesterday so this is like a year and two months after my accident, just now, am I going back and developing the fire in myself? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, because I only know you as this wonderful, fiery bubble of joy and bringing so much love and light. And, you know, you've got that 
huge Shawanda community that you've um, formed, you know, with all the amazing things like your sound bath healings, like I mentioned, and and you do so many things, you know. So do you want to tell the listeners how you started the journey um, with the community and also with your consciousness? Because you said, I know like with athletes having worked with so many sports teams, the adrenaline, like when you do something, if you win a game, it's like the pheromones are up here, you know, all the love hormones, the pheromones, and you get addicted to that. The more you exercise, the more pheromones, you know. And on one level, you know, that is raising your consciousness and you're in that love zone, you're in that pureness. So, um, yeah, how does your work bring consciousness besides on a subtle level because right pilates is more like people see it more as a physical but you do so many other things like meditation and yoga and sophrology wow um okay so which part of that do you want me to address <laughs> <laughs> when you're in the flow you're gonna let it go so okay just... so I'll go back to the beginning um when I created Shawanda the um I had started I just moved to the south of France and I took two years off um because I was going through some trauma again um and so I took two years off and all I did was run in the back country I ran I ran I ran and that was interesting in itself because when I would run some days like literally in the forest portals open that were never there and I'd been on the same trail for I don't know like a year and then all of a sudden this portal would open and I'd go <laughs> let's go and then I started teaching in a tiny tiny little house i mean it was a, it was a villa actually and i got these women that came to my classes and they loved my classes and it grew and grew and grew to a point where i could no longer hold the amount of people that were there and so i started looking for a place and i specifically wanted to have a place where there was um quite a, a wealthy population just because on that hill there was nothing on that hill and the the thing in my head kept saying you need to be the light on the hill and so I was looking specifically for a place in this certain neighborhood and I found this hidden hidden place in this neighborhood and I was able to get it together to open up the first center and the first center, I named it Shawanda because Shawanda in Ojibwa, which is um, a native name um, from the native tribe of in Canada, big, big, big tribe, Ojibwa, means dawn of a new day. And so just by the name, I wanted to start shining the light on the hill and using Pilates and, you know, just different physical um, modalities to allow people to release and like you say, find that aha moment. So when I created Shawanda, you were there. I mean, it was like a uterus in the middle of this place, like just this rich pulsing place that I filled with crystals and plants and, you know, really did a lot of, a lot of sacred space clearing there. 
so that the place itself vibrated. And then the teachers that came within, they vibrated and I kept vibrating and growing and growing and growing. And the community just kept growing. And you, there was no sign outside. Like, do you remember? There was no sign. Yeah, nothing. Because I remember the first time I went there, I said, you know, ask for directions. And then it's like, no sign to get in there. How do people know that it even exists? Yeah. Yeah, that was yeah. that was exactly it. How do, how do people know they exist? So, yeah, the community grew from there. And like, I do believe that because um, I was very subtle in bringing the people to a higher realization. I mean, I hope I hope that's not too pretentious, but I, I think that's what I mean, that was my goal. And I hope that's yeah. what I did for these people, because the community, I mean, a lot of the community is still together. And I opened a second one. I closed the first one. Um, and I opened the second one, which unfortunately I had to close during COVID. Um, but the community, even since then, part of the community still exists and is still a tight knit group. And they followed me to my new place of work and uh, I'm in contact with them regularly. So this community that I, this community that I built over the space of seven, eight years, nine, 10 years with the original people is still a part of my life. Yeah, well, I can imagine that because what you did was open up a gateway to deeper connection, both with inside people and outside to the broader community, you know, from doing your body-based um, activities. So, mm. you know, the healing takes place You'd set your beautiful intention and it happened. And of course, they're going to follow you because, you know, you're you're their teacher. You're like their guru. I know you don't, you're so humble. You don't like being called that, but, you know, you've got a huge following and it's wonderful. You know, we all need um, masters to guide us and um, you were there in divine timing. And, um, yeah, I just wanted to ask you a bit more about sophrology, because I know for the listener, the first time I ever heard of sophrology was in in France. Did, do you want to explain what it is and what um, type of things you do? Yeah, um, sophrology is um, it's a brief therapy um, founded by Alfredo Quesado, a Spanish person, a Spanish man. Um, I'm always careful when I use the gender now, <laughs> um, <laughs> a Spanish man. And uh, sophrology is, it's, I wouldn't say it's life coaching, but it's taking the human that has an objective or a challenge and rewiring their brain, literally session after session so the concept is for the first part let's say that we'll take a person and we'll do a protocol for them and they're gonna it's gonna take them 10 sessions to achieve their goal um it could be running a marathon it could be it could be uh passing their high school ged it could be it could be anything it could be i want to be more confident in myself so the first part of the of the therapy, the first three or four sessions, what we do is use a series of exercises, breath and physical exercise, almost like gestalt therapy. 
and then take the person in in the sense session itself and then take the person into a deeper state of consciousness and use a series of meditations that are adapt adapted to their certain um challenge and the stage of the advancement in their protocol so a session would go um um two exercises like two physical exercises with breath work and we would push out in the first part of their sessions we would push out the negative imprints and the negative patterning that they're they've been using as a coping mechanism so then after these two or three exercises take them into a meditative state and then start introducing positive affirmations very specific in a in a hypnotic way like we'll use an induction use the terpenos logos which is a way of speaking to bring people down into a deeper state of consciousness without having them go beyond the state of consciousness we don't go into their subconsciousness like in hypnology in hypno, hypno hypnosis sorry i'm mixing french and english we try to keep them at the threshold of their consciousness where the projections and filters will be swept away and then their brain can go in and do the activity uh, to rewire so the first part of their protocol would be emptying the negative the second part of the protocol would be um, building up on a foundation of a clean mind and then the third part of their protocol would be introducing positive affirmations to fill them up with their own memories, positive, their own qualities, their own favorite colors, their own favorite smells. So it's like building a, taking the bad, let's reformulate that, taking what they no longer need, letting it go, allowing themselves to neutralize to that new state of being, and then bringing them up to a higher vibration through a series of exercises. That's how I see it. And I integrate pranayamic exercises, which, which is a lot stronger than the traditional sophrology training, which is just like you'll do one exercise, you'll breathe out and you uh, push away, for example, in the first part of your session, if you want to get rid of, I don't know, negative, negative self-talk. You would exhale. While pushing away your negative thought. For me, that's sweet. It's nice. But if you really want to do it, because I come from a sports background, I'm going to do that way longer with more force, with more breath, with eyes closed, with a certain hertz of music, so that the whole experience is really deep. And I'm not saying that other sophrologists do it differently. That's just my way of, of doing it because that's what brings me to a higher level of positivity and confidence and vibration. So wow. sophrology is that. Um, it's very well developed in France. You look on almost every corner of the road and there's a sophrologist and it's very well respected by the hospitals and 
governments and they integrate that into their programs. So there is a scientific value to sophrology as well. Um, everything I've ever done, I've made sure that it's um, scientifically valuable in the eyes of someone who sees black and white. So there's always mm -hmm. that to fall back on when you have skeptical people. You can always fall back on the scientific studies to show them, look, you know, like I'm not some who, who, guru, weirdo, hoodoo, voodoo sort of thing, even though I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is scientific evidence behind all of these techniques. Yeah, it's a shame that the world does think like that, but I think um, we're starting to come to a new paradigm shift where the work that you and I do will become the norm. And as you say, it's already happening like Reiki's in many hospitals, sophrology's in hospitals, and um, people are starting to wake up that there is more than medicine and surgery. You know, that is like a new way of looking at things, whereas these old traditions that have been around forever, and I usually say to people, I'm not here to convince you, but the evidence is in when you feel different and your life changes because you've had a healing session, for example, you know, or hear other people talking about it. So, um, yeah, um... I think the I think the sound therapy is a perfect example of that. Like when I started studying the sound therapy, I was blown away by the, you know, like I always believed in vibration and sound. Um, yeah, and when I did do the sound therapy, by all of the medical information that is being that is being given out but also the medical instruments in our hospitals today that use sound and vibration i mean what is ultrasound right and what yeah. is and a scintigraphy is a series of pulses and an I, mri same thing they're using sound and vibration to create the imagery to delve into exactly. what the physical body is so when I'm doing sound therapy in my sessions, I try to in the sound in so in sophrology, I integrate tuning forks um, because of that vibration that allows you to clear away negative patterning much faster than you know talk therapy, which for me is like you talk about your traumatism and you and you just relive it every time you talk about it. You know, like I just wake up. We need sound, we need vibration, we need, you know, healers that are there to listen and not give you just 15 minutes within you must say one thing that's going wrong. And that's not connected to the rest of the dots. So yeah, it, I agree with you, these old therapies, <laughs> ancient therapies, exactly. Atlantic Atlantis therapies, right? If we can go yes. that far. I mean, therapies from where we know it came from. We know it from inside our cellular level. Yeah. People. They're ancient, ancient techniques, ancient people. Um, their traditions have carried on, you know, regardless of um, people trying to block them. 
What I found really interesting, I was watching this amazing thing. It's in French. I can't find it in English because it's a French thing. It's called the the Alchemical Voyage. And so right. in the 1600s, when um, Louis XIV destroyed the main place in Brussels, the spiritual leaders did not know how to continue teaching because they weren't allowed to. I mean, it was like very secret and occult. So what they did is all of the place in Brussels, all of the main square there, they yeah. recreated it with symbolism and the alchemical process of creating gold and creating the symbolism of the stories on all of the facade of each part of the square. So they weren't allowed to verbally say anything. So they used the alchemical process of creating gold and using that gold to tell the story through symbolism. You know, like that's how society was shutting that down. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. That's a great story. So, um, what what um how how do you envision the future of holistic healing and its impact on individuals and society as a whole? Oh, that's a big one. How do I envision? How do I do that? Um, I you know, for me, I don't really see. I don't see myself as a catalyst in the movement. I see myself as a light that that shines out and by that reverberation of the light by by that vibration other people come subtly into holistic healing and that's how I can make a difference in this world. Um I always get I get approached by people um, in certain communities to become a part of that community and then to be a spokesperson in that community. But I don't feel that's my role here. So I, uh, it's, a, it's a humble, simple role that I feel that I'm contributing enormously just by being the example. Do you see what I mean? So the yeah is the future that or not I believe the future is to those like you who are bringing people like me and other people into the daily consciousness of everyone else I think that is a big future in there and for me it's just implementing the sound therapy implementing the elements in implementing meditation and ancient technology into modern day disciplines like sophrology like yoga like pilates i mean pilates is not spiritual at all but when you get to a certain physical level and you get into the flow like you were talking about easy earlier yeah they get into a flow they're much more susceptible at the end of the class to have a two-minute relaxation where you take them into expansion and then yeah. they're hmm, what is this? So, you know, like to your question, 
<laughs> I, I, I was just curious in case you downloaded some information about how you see the future of um, holistic healing and the impacts on individuals and the world in general. Yeah. Because um... I also know as well, during lockdown and now in your healing process, you actually spend a lot of time in nature. You choose to be isolated in nature and spend time in nature. Yeah, and that's funny because I was just going there right now when you said, can you channel anything? And and I just went into a, a mood and and I looked outside at the mountains all around me and I thought, yeah, I mean, it's um, people getting back to nature because yes, in COVID, yes. I mean, I was fortunate. Yeah. I was blessed and fortunate to live on the edge of a forest on the edge and the bottom of a chateau. And then all around that chateau was a forest where nobody was there. So I went into the adventure of being by myself um, every single day. <laughs> and here in France, we had, we had to have passes. We could only go out for an hour. I don't know how it was in other countries. So I would make a pass for an hour and then I'd make another pass for the next hour and the next hour and the next hour and put it in my backpack with my with my bowl or my didgeridoo or my drum or or whatever instrument I was inspired to bring that day and go out into nature and literally discover that in my backyard there was portals to other dimensions and all I had to do was be clean and clear to be able to tap into those other dimensions and see whole medieval life in a village back there and see um, how Mother Earth was reacting to the shutdown, the lockdown. Um, mm. So yeah, for me, when I speak to people about their health and their future, I insist every single time on them um, understanding the power of nature. And if they can't get back into like how I'm blessed to be able to look outside and see the mountains and see the snow on the Alps. And then the, on the other side of my house, see the sea. If they don't have that blessing or privilege that they can just go walk along the edge of the sea and bring that into their being. Um, for me, that goes back into the shamanic training, but also goes back into my bones um, of growing up on sacred land and like really becoming the authentic person that I was becoming thanks to the blessings of nature. So yeah, that for me, that's the the future because a lot of people don't have the means to go to a healing session. I usually, when yeah. they say that to me, I, I always make amends for them because I don't believe it should be something just for the elite. And if healers understood that, that especially like amazing healers taking from, I don't know, 120, 200, a thousand euros a session. It's like, dudes, you need to bring, you need to bring this down to a human level. If the person needs healing, you have to bring it to them in yeah. an affordable manner. But what is affordable is breathing the air is becoming aware of how air how we breathe the air but it's the air that breathes us and so just becoming more aware of how nature and the elements is a part of our holistic healing 
Yeah, I totally agree. I like the way you said that the air breathes us because um, that's what I preach as well. Yeah. Because we are one, you know, we're breathing in, we're breathing out. We, you know, are we breathing in the air or is the air breathing in us? Mm. You know, as you said. Um, yeah, nature to me is the best healer ever, is the best remedy. And we can learn so much from nature with the seasons with the different animals, what they do, where they hibernate and so forth, how they store their food. And, you know, we're all here and we're all energetic beings. We're all vibrational energy, like you said, and it's good to um, have that vibration. Um, to close, I always ask my guests, if there was one thing you could do to change the world, what would it be? Meditate. Woohoo! <laughs> <Totally> agree. <laughs> yeah, meditate. <laughs> yeah. For me, I think meditation for people who, you know, are not aware of the quantum field or aware of oneness and the higher vibrational levels, this is a way to help fast track them to becoming one with all that is. Yeah, and so much peace and love and joy that comes with it. Yeah, exactly. And it, you know, a lot of people say that it's very, um, it's very difficult to meditate. So I say yoga nidra. Uh, yeah. Yes. So it's a, for me, you know, it's it can be a portal into meditation. Yeah. 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 And as you mentioned, breath sustains life. Breath is so important for life, and it's learning how to feel the breath inside you and to feel the breath around you as you breathe out and the different types of breathing that there are you know you can make breathing fun and give gratitude for each single breath for keeping you alive and play with it um yeah i when i had my first what the in the past, they'd call it rebirth in, but it was called um, sacred breath session. And that's like deep breathing into your tummy. S sort of a cross between um, Dr. Joe and um, Wim Hof mm -hmm. today, but all that fast deep breathing. I went to another space and time. My head was so empty and clear of thoughts. It just accelerated me. And everybody was going, wow, what have you been taking? What have you been doing? I want a bit of that. I want a piece of that cake. And it's like, I've just been breathing. It was just so amazing. And on that note, my darling friend, to the listeners, this has been an amazing conversation. And Terry Linda's incredible work, you, you've had a taste of her upbringing to know that she is very genuine and everything comes from her heart. And she does tailor-made one-on-one sessions. She does group sessions and she does, you name it, she does it from EFT to one-on-one, -on -one, um, sophrologies. And would you like to say to them the best way to contact you and on your website maybe? Yeah. Yeah, they can contact me through my website, which is uh, sophrologyniece.com. Great. Yeah, they can they can get my name on YouTube. Uh, yeah, just with my name. My YouTube name is my name. So, yeah, my yeah. website or that or, yeah. 
Yeah, I think fantastic. And as a parting note, is there anything you would like to share with the listeners? I think, yeah, really um, listen to what is inside of you. Go into silence and listen to what who you are. Go deep within because everything is there. You just have to close your eyes, remain silent, and listen. Wow, that was beautiful. And thank you, beautiful sister, for giving up your precious time to be on Wellness Spring today. Thanks, Beverly. It was a blessing and a privilege once again. Thank you so much for allowing me to express myself on this amazing platform. So yeah, thank you so much, Beverly.